You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with a Gun Show podcast. This week, back to basics. A little news. Michael J. Woodland on boar sighting. Partnership with Skip of Skip's Tactical Solutions. Gun safety. And history lesson with Robert F. Williams, the author of Negroes with Guns. All this and more coming up next. Blackmanwithagun.com. Ken Blanchard's Pro Gun Podcast. Happy February. Happy Groundhog Day. Happy, happy, happy. I'm hoping that you're doing all right. This week uh, starts off our new season and uh, hopefully a little renewed juice, a little bit more power. Actually, I think I'm doing too much. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Direct from our newsroom in Washington, in color. want to start off our news segment with a congratulatory note to the National African American Gun Association, which celebrates its four-year anniversary this month. They have 75 chapters and thousands of new members. I don't think nobody knows more than I do how hard it is to keep an organization going and keep it on track. Congrats to Phil and everybody from NAGA. I got four pieces of news from places around the country. Brewing in Arkansas, for example, a bill set to make its way through the Arkansas legislature would alter the state's self-defense laws and allow for people to use the, quote, stand your ground provisions in deadly confrontations. State Representative Aaron Pilkington, a Republican from Clarksville, says House Bill 1059 will clear up ambiguities and make Arkansas law line up with our neighboring states. He says there's nothing in there where I call it a stand-your-ground bill, Pilkington said. I call it a right to protect yourself. Other people are calling it a stand-your-ground bill. The label is controversial because Florida neighborhood watchman George Zimmerman avoided jail after he shot and killed Trayvon Martin back in 2012. Unlike Florida, Arkansas would not have allowed Zimmerman to use the defense, and that's surprising to some of the folks in his district. Pilkington said he had a uh, constituent reach out to him, letting him know that we weren't a stand-your-ground state, and after kind of looking for the laws and how they were, he was right. We're one of the few states that are duty to retreat, Pilkington, would take the retreat requirement out of the law. After the Martin shooting, critics predicted similar killings across the country, and this is a biased and very misleading report. According to the case, he only shot Martin after he was knocked to the ground and was mounted by Uh, Martin, which he had no point or opportunity to retreat. And despite all the whining about staying your ground, giving white folks a license to shoot black folks, the study shows that it has been more black people, more black gun owners who have benefited from the staying your ground laws in Florida. The Second Amendment Foundation has joined several other parties in filing an amicus brief with the U.S. Supreme Court for New Jersey, asking the court to accept for review a case that challenges the justifiable need standard that is the heart of New Jersey's restrictive carry law. The case is called Rogers v. Grewal, 
Attorney generals from 22 states have also asked the high court for review in a separate brief. The case involves New Jersey resident Thomas R. Rogers, who applied for a handgun permit some two years ago because he carries large amounts of cash in order to service ATM machines. His application was denied because his local police chief felt Rogers did not have a justifiable need to be armed under state law. And in the state that gives us Las Vegas, federal prosecutors want the right to mention Stephen Paddock, the man responsible for the deadliest mass shooting in modern history, during an ammunition trial. The Las Vegas Review-Journal reports Douglas Haig, who was indicted last year in Nevada on one count of manufacturing and selling ammunition without a license, has admittedly sell rounds to Paddock. The government's assertion comes in response to a motion by Haig's attorney who argued any mention of Paddock or the October 1st, 2017 shooting at the Las Vegas Strip would stir bias in potential jurors and should be omitted. Paddock fired more than 1,000 rounds from the Mandalay Bay Hotel Suite into a crowd at the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival. Paddock killed 58 people. A judge hasn't determined whether Paddock, who killed himself after the attack, can be mentioned. And as I recall in this case, the government makes no claim that Haig was aware of Paddock's plans, but is prosecuting him for having manufactured and sold armor-piercing ammo on a Type 5 FFL, which only allows manufacture of conventional ammo. I'm not an attorney, but it strikes me that allowing mention of Paddock would properly be ruled as prejudicial. And this is from, all of this is from Stephen uh, Winnegar, who has put this together on a list, sir. And most of this is coming from NRA's Isla. And now news from Virginia. Senator Hanger's SB 1321, which originally said that a licensed family day home provider could either lock up their guns or carry them on their person, just got changed in committee to remove the option of carrying on their person. So now the option of self-defense and or protection of the children is now gone. The Virginia Citizens Defense League consequently has shifted its position from neutral to strongly opposed. The bill is held is headed to the Senate floor and you guys need to act quickly to kill it. Side note, if you are a new activist and you're looking to start something in your state, which I highly suggest you do, check out VCDL, the Virginia Citizens Defense League, vcdl.org, for their template for how they got started, how they maintain and how they are successful in helping Virginia. And while we're talking about Virginia, you have to have heard about uh, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, a Democrat, on Friday acknowledging appearing in a clearly racist and offensive photograph back in 1984. That shows a man in blackface and another in a Ku Klux Klan robe. And folks are calling for his resignation, which began as a trickle, but folks are piling on it right now. Late Friday, even most of his trusted allies are calling for him to step down. Yeah, that was 1984, y'all. The governor is a Bloomberg-funded rabid opponent of the right to keep and bear arms. If the governor did resign, it would uh, be succeeded by Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, a black guy. I don't know where you are on this whole argument, but think about you and all the selfies and the pictures that you've taken on Instagram 25 years from now. How is that going to affect you? Just some stuff to think about, young folks. Be careful what you put out there in public domain. Oh, yeah. And by the way, that lieutenant governor is also funded by Bloomberg. So it's no change, actually. Thanks to Ed Harris and Steve Winnegar for the information. 
You know, this week I was trying to figure out where I'm going to go after episode number 600, after doing this thing for over a decade and um, trying to be the responsible gun owners podcast to be the family friendly one. And I got the answer pretty quick. One of my friends, Lloyd, said, uh, how about going back to the basics? He's got quite a few people in his family that are now interested in concealed carry, now interested in following in dad's footsteps and grandpa's footsteps. And uh, I thought that was a great idea, man. So for the next few weeks, I'm going to ask for my helpers to also give us some lessons and just some basic stuff so that um, everybody can be on the same sheet of music. I'm going to start this off with gun safety. If you're an experienced gun owner, you know that there's never a wrong time to talk about gun safety. So I'm going to try to cover it a little bit more than just the four basic gun safety rules or the four or five or ten. I'm just going to go in detail and let the spirit move me if that's all right with you. The first rule is to always keep your firearms muzzle pointed in a safe direction. And the safe direction changes depending on who you're around and where you are. If you're at the range, it's down range. Safe direction is where if it happened to go off. Yeah, it's usually just like that. Usually while you're giving a class and you're pointing your firearm in the wrong direction, hopefully it's in a safe location away from somebody. That thing just goes off. And hopefully your training kicked in and you did what you were supposed to do, which is to what? To make sure that it's pointed in a safe direction. Sometimes it changes. If you are unloading and loading your firearm, for example, in your home, it's a good idea to have a shooting barrel, to have a sand pit, to have a, use a corner of your room, which is reinforced by at least a couple of pieces of wood versus the sheetrock that's in the normal walls next door. You want to make sure it's in a safe direction. If you're in an apartment building complex, you don't want to be doing pointing at the window. You don't want your firearm to be pointed up. You don't want your uh, firearm to be pointed down. It's going to be in a safe direction. Wherever, if it happened to go off, while the instructor was talking or while you were doing something, you wouldn't hurt anybody. The number two, always keep your finger off the trigger until you're actually intended to shoot it, to use it. When you're handling a firearm, your finger just naturally goes in the trigger guard. Make sure it's on the outside along the side of the gun. Don't touch the trigger until you're actually ready to fire. When you're passing the firearm around, you're showing somebody, it's really easy for them to want to put their finger in the trigger Talk about this before you handle the firearm, before you give the firearm away, before you pick up the firearm. Think about it physically in your mind. Accidents happen because we forget. The more you're around firearms, the more comfortable you get, the more stupid we get. It's not just you, it's everybody. You know, after a while, it's not an accident. It's just unintentional. Am I getting you with these sound effects? I'm trying to. I'm trying to put it in your mind that this stuff is serious. Number three, firearms should be unloaded when not, when not using it. If you're not using this as your self-defense firearm, it's a whole different ballgame. If it's your carry gun, if it's the gun that you walk around the house with, that's different. But if you're not using it, it should be unloaded. Whenever you pick up a firearm, such as removing it from a box, from storage, from a safe, again, remember to point it in a safe direction and make sure it's unloaded. Next on my reminding list is to make sure you know how your gun works. Read that doggone manual that came with it, if you don't know. Google how to operate it, how to safely open and close the action. Every firearm has a different action. Learn how to remove any ammunition from the firearm or its magazine. This can be one of the most important things to teach all the members in your family. Even those who don't know how to shoot or don't want to be gun people, 
have them know how to safely pick up and handle a firearm, the ones that you have. So just in case something happened, they saw one outside, they found one on the playground, there was one left in the crime scene, hopefully you won't touch that one, but they know how to safely handle a firearm. It's important, even for little people. And it's up to you on what age it is that you're going to teach them. And until you're ready to use them, make sure they're stored, right? Make sure they're in a safe, a gun vault, or a storage case where they can't be got. You know what I'm saying? They want to be inaccessible to children, to neighbors, to nosy folks, or anybody who would possibly be handling that firearm without your permission. Make sure you store your ammunition in a locked location, separate from the firearms if possible. Sometimes finding ammunition first makes the first person want to go find your gun. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. You got the bullets out in the open, but their firearms in the safe. They wouldn't even be thinking about your gun except for they see these bullets now. They want to figure out how to make them go bang. If you don't have a safe, if you don't have a locking box, find a way to lock your firearms that renders it inoperable. They make some good stuff now. And if you're hurting for money like me, a padlock, a bicycle cable lock, or that trigger lock if you live in Maryland, New Jersey, Detroit, Chicago, all those places that make you buy these crazy expensive locks for $30 plus, should be on your firearm. Can you tell I'm salty and I'm ready to move? Yes, I am. I'm in the state of Maryland and I am sick of this place. But I digress. You know, after you come back from hunting or shooting or at the range, make sure you clean your firearms in a safe place as well. Sometimes when you're cleaning your farm, you point it in a bad place, like at your face, at the person who's walking by. All that stuff matters. And make sure you clean your farm with an unloaded firearm as well. Talk about holsters for a quick second. If you are a concealed carrier, if you're a person who is carrying a firearm, make sure that your trigger guard is covered so that you don't accidentally stick your finger on the bang switch. Yeah, a good holster covers that so that while it's in your pocket while it's on your side while it's under your arm in your belly band wherever it's at that you can't accidentally put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to shoot not while you're fumbling for it while not while you're digging for it you don't want it to be sliding around and while you grab into adjust it you accidentally pull the trigger be careful of that another safety thing is if you're out for a drink how about you not carry that night I know it's easy to justify just one drink when you have access to your firearm. After all, you figure you can legally drive, so what's the problem? Well, the gun is the problem. Don't cross the line. If you're a concealed carrier and uh, you have to go to the restroom, I suggest that you make the stalls your best friend. And don't leave your firearm in there either. Don't put it uh, on the ground. Don't stick it on the tub. Don't put it anywhere. The best holster, actually, in the bathroom is a cross draw. It's the worst one for just about everything else, but... When you're sitting on a porcelain throne, cross draws is the bomb. When I was overseas one time and I had, uh, I got sick a lot because the water in the place was just so dirty. I went to a cross draw holster because I could stay armed while I was sitting, you know. I've also seen folks that when they disarm or when they go to the restroom, that thing hits the ground really, really hard. Oh, man. And folks can see. Your pants and your your ankle choking socks and your firearm. Be careful of that. If you have to go to the restroom, which you will if you're carrying concealed a lot. For example, when you're coming in there and you got your winter coat on, 
you might want to do some adjusting. Before you go sit down and take your coat off, go to the restroom first. Get yourself together. And the stall, again, is your best friend. You know, you go in to eat. Excuse yourself. Go right to the restroom. Take your pocket pistol out. Put it in the right place. Get it out your coat. Um, unless you have a concealed carry firearm coat with locks and all that good stuff. Uh, make sure that you adjust your stuff. Make sure you look right in the stall before the public sees you. And then you can join your family and your friends back at the table once you get it all straight. But if you are a concealed carrier, the stall in the restroom public place is your best friend. Gun safety. We're talking about eye protection. Also, when you go to the range, don't get cheap on that. Get your own. Find some stuff that really works that you can see. Your eyes are everything. You're vulnerable to powder, to blowback, to ejected shells, to ricochets, to dust. Protect your eyes at the range. And next thing is, you know, your ears. Don't get cheap on that. Don't do like they used to do in the old days with the cigarette butts or old uh, empty shells. Invest in some good, comfortable hearing protection. Sometimes the muffs that you buy at the range, they're all right, but they're somebody else's stuff. Get your own gear. Double up of your inside, too. Urban shooters, you know you have to use both soft and hard together because the noise inside is ridiculous. Outside, different story. You can get away with some custom molded plugs. But the more you don't hear, the better shot you can, con- you can concentrate when you're not worrying about the noise. Just a tip right there. If you're traveling in your car, do not put your firearm in your glove box. I know it seems like the best place for it, but you know that's where everybody goes when they're trying to rob somebody's car. They're checking for that. Don't make it that easy. You know, being a firearms owner requires some responsibility. Got to step up to the mic. And if you can't, then maybe you shouldn't be caring. This portion of the show is sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Crossbreed Holsters has gained national recognition as a maker of the best and most functional concealment holsters available on the market today. Each holster is handcrafted to ensure your firearm is safe and secure while carrying, combined with the best customer service in the industry. Visit CrossbreedHolsters.com. MarylandShallIssue.org It's an all-volunteer, nonpartisan organization dedicated to the preservation and advancement of gun owners' rights in Maryland. It seeks to educate the community about the right of self-protection, the safe handling of firearms, and the responsibility that goes with carrying a firearm in public. MarylandShallIssue.org This is the group, your group, the grassroots group in the state of Maryland. Join us, no matter where you are, MarylandShallIssue.org One of the coolest things that happened in the last couple of weeks is that I got a chance to uh, connect with a young lady by the name of Avery Skipalis, who runs Skip's Tactical Solutions out of uh, Florida. Looking forward to some cross promotions with Skip, and she's actually bringing me on her journey through this gun community, and she's like a boss with social media. So uh, I definitely can benefit from it. She recently interviewed me in her last show and actually used a clip on the show before. So we've actually kind of merged some stuff and uh, it's kind of nice having uh, having somebody of her caliber working with me. So now working with uh, Michael and Avery, I feel kind of good. 
Need some ammo? Check out ammo.com. It's your best source for ammunition online. The shipping is fast, the customer service is good, and they sell name brands you can trust. Ammo.com. And if you like saving money as much as I do, use the link ammo.com forward slash black man with a gun. How cool is that? Did I hit it? Ammo.com. And here's Michael J. Woodland from M-W Tactical talking about boar sighting. Thank you, Ken, and welcome to another Tips and Review segment. I am Michael Woodland, and today we're going to discuss boar sighting. What is boar sighting? It is simply a method of adjustments to an optical firearm sight or iron sights to align the firearm barrel and the sights. This method is usually used to pre-align the sights, which makes zeroing go much faster. A device called a boresighter or a kilometer is used to accomplish this. So basically what takes place, you will assemble the kilometer, slide the smaller end into the barrel from the muzzle brake, turn it on, and a light or laser will project from the kilometer out at a said distance you are zeroing from. Let's say 25 yards. With the barrel insert in place and the light or laser on, it's time to go to the next step of adjusting. When you get behind the scope, optic, or sight, start making adjustments until the light or laser is at the intended aiming position you desire. It may be easier to have someone assist you to cut down on the time on your adjustments to your weapon system. After you have your adjustments in order, we can move on to the next step. Having the firearm bore sighted, we can confirm the bore sighting with a 25-yard zero. Now, when you go out and start to zero, there should be minimum correction when making your new corrections to the optic, scope, or iron sights. For those who are looking to contact me, visit blackmanwiththegun.com and under the leaders tab, click on my name, Michael Woodland, and shoot me an email. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken. One of the things I've done pretty successfully over the last 12 years is history on this podcast. No matter what it was called, our American history is wrapped around some of the not-so-pretty parts of our lives. You can't pick and choose only the good parts. To talk about. There was a time when a person of color having a firearm was considered a bad thing. Not just legally, but in your own home. Your family members would ostracize you or comment about it. Uh, you don't want to be a bad Negro. You know, once upon a time we were Negroes. I've been around long enough that I was actually called that a few times. It was actually written on my birth certificate at the time, too. There's a book called Negroes with Guns. You may have heard of it. Written by Robert F. Williams, it was published in 1968 when I wrote Black Man with a Gun, A Guide for African Americans. It was to highlight that somebody had gone before me. That I wasn't the first one in this gun rights activism piece. That I wasn't the first person to advocate that all people that are law-abiding should own firearms. This guy had a very colorful past. Robert F. Williams was a militant civil rights leader who opened advocacy of armed self-defense, anticipated the movement for black power. 
in the late 60s. He helped inspire groups like the Student National Coordinating Committee, also known as SNCC, the Revolutionary Action Movement, and the Black Panther Party. He was before all of that. Williams was born in Monroe, North Carolina in 1925. He went to uh, Detroit, Michigan during World War II where he worked as a factory worker. He organized the United Auto Workers Union. He fought in a race ride that rocked Detroit in the summer of 1943. And after a stint in the U.S. Marine Corps, he returned home to Monroe in 1955. He was elected president of the local branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People back when he did stuff. He set out to build a membership in his own image, a working class of armed people, a far cry from the moderate middle class makeup of the national organization. He soon made international headlines for his role in the so-called kissing case in which two black children were jailed for kissing a young white girl. In 1957, after an attempt to desegregate the town's public swimming pool met with stiff resistance from locals and the Klan, he began stockpiling guns in anticipation of an attack, vowing to meet violence with violence, and was rebuked by the National Office of the NAACP and suspended from his leadership post. And then, in 1959, he began publishing his own newsletter called The Crusader. In 1961, Williams and his supporters again tried to integrate that community pool. This time, he wound up in an armed standoff with local police and a mob of white citizens. Later that year, when the Freedom Rides came to Monroe, Williams organized self-defense groups to protect the rioters. As white mobs stormed the black community in the wake of the rides, Williams and his wife left town, but only after allowing a white couple to take refuge in their home. Believe it or not, authorities indicted Williams for kidnapping that couple, forcing him to flee the country and take up residence in Cuba as a guest of Fidel Castro. From exile in Cuba, Williams continued to circulate that paper, The Crusader, throughout the South. With Castro's support, he also began broadcasting a weekly radio program called Radio Free Disc Dixie, which would have been a podcast about right now, that reached thousands of black listeners in the U.S., despite the U.S. government's efforts to scramble the signal. In 1966, Williams moved to China, where he became friend and advisor to Mao Zedong. Yeah, he went hard, right? Over the next few years, he traveled extensively throughout Asia and Africa, speaking out against racism, colonialism, and the war in Vietnam. In 1968, while still in exile, but now living in Tanzania, Williams was named the first president of the Republic of New Africa. He returned home in 69 and settled in Michigan, partly as a result of changes in his own political position and partly in order to avoid extradition to North Carolina, where kidnapping charges were still pending. He distanced himself from the black power movement and even began advising the State Department on its relations with China. In 1976, all charges against him were dropped. Williams lived the remainder of his life in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He died of Hodgkin's lymphoma. In 1996, that dude went through, y'all. Robert F. Williams. This guy lived in our time period, y'all. I want to let you hear a little bit from a uh, YouTube clip. In his own words, this is the Robert F. Williams. Mr. Williams, what would you say to uh, a, a youngster who uh, was uh, who were to tell you at this point that you know, well, hell, I don't want to get involved. I really don't, you know. I want to get my own, I want to be done with it, I want to get my house, I want to get my car, and I want to live my own life. 
I really don't, you know, the community doesn't care about me. Why should I care about the community? Uh, all I'm going to get is grief. I mean, look at Williams. He got he, he did all this stuff and he got nothing for it. What would you say to him? Oh, I got a great deal for it. I've had a good time. And I've enjoyed life. One of the main thing is they ask me, how could you travel around the world? You didn't have a passport. I said I had an FBI wanted poster. And that gave me entrance to a lot of places that other people couldn't go. So as a result of that, yeah, I really in, enjoy life. I live now in the middle of the Manistee National Forest. I go places freely. And every two, every two or three years, my wife and I are invited to China. We're treated as heads of state. So <clears throat> I don't know how much better I could do. And uh, they kept, they used economic pressure, all kinds of things. But uh, I got to be well known. I've been given all kinds of opportunity, just like they didn't tell the people in the black community, but they invited me to Washington and asked me to help them to normalize relations with China. And uh, they gave me a Ford Foundation grant to the University of Michigan so that they would know about China and I could help them improve relations. So <clears throat> you don't really lose. I would say be honest. Be honest with themselves, the others, to be sincere, to vote themselves to truth and to justice. And most of all, to have some discipline. You gotta have a discipline in life and never be afraid. But I would also ask them a question. How could a fish say that he doesn't want to get involved in the water in the pond? Because the fish is a part of the pond. He's there. If the water's gone, he's gone. And as little as they know it, if this society is gone, they're gone. And this is one thing, too, that I don't understand about white people in this country, especially rich white people. I don't know why they can't have enough understanding to know. If we are destroyed, so will the nation be destroyed. So will they be destroyed. That They can't enjoy what they've got if we're being destroyed. And they don't, I don't know why they can't see that their destiny is tied to ours. Now, it looks like they are some distance, that they've got some insulation. But I can assure them, they don't have any insulation. I've been in countries where I've seen uh, authority break down. They don't know what that looks like. That's a horrible space. And we are not far from that now in this country. We're not far. We're looking at other countries. And attention is being diverted way to other countries, but we're not far away. And it's important for the youth to understand that no matter how distant these people may look who are committing crimes, who are addicted to drugs, who are in the criminal element, no matter how distant they may look today, they're going to find that they're going to get closer and closer. And this is also the world of the rich man is going to get smaller. The more crime that you got out there, the more drugs that you got out there, the smaller the world is going to get for people who would like to be productive, who would like to live in peace. So there's no such thing of peace without justice. And the young person now must work for justice and for a new world. And without that, we all are lost. 
All right, that's a wrap for this week. I want to ask you to check out blackmanwithagun.com. I have a new uh, keychain I'm getting built. It's a high design, high quality PVC keychain as a memento of reaching the 600 episode mark on the show. And uh, for you being with me all this time, it has like three of our logos on there. It's going to be pretty cool. It's only like five bucks plus the shipping. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for you so that you don't forget. Thanks for everybody who's been with me all this time and still rolling with a brother. You are much appreciated, especially those who thought of not robbery to support the show. Um, We are onward and upward. We're moving. We're doing well. And this is the only show like its kind in the world. Become a Patreon supporter yourself. Patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun. Be a show enough supporter. Quick thanks to Mike for his contribution about the bore sites. You can check out Michael J. Woodland on M-W Tactical and on a whole bunch of stuff. He's all over the globe, uh, world traveling and YouTubing on everybody else's stations. And Miss Avery Skip Palace on SkipsTacticalSolutions.com. There's an old African proverb that says that none of us is as strong as all of us. I believe that. Until next week, just in case nobody has told you this today, I love you, and it's not a damn thing you can do about it. Until we meet again, shalom, baby. Until next time, friends. To keep in touch with Ken and his cause, head over to blackmanwithagun.com. 